All right, who loves a summer barbecue as much as I do? Listen, if you want to impress everyone with some super yummy dishes, you need ButcherBox in your life. ButcherBox is my go-to subscription box that delivers high-quality meat and seafood to your door with free shipping always. And I'm talking high-quality cuts at an amazing value. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. We are saving so much money every month with ButcherBox over going to the grocery store and buying meat and seafood and saving a lot of time. But get this, last month we saved nearly $200. I also love that ButcherBox curates these tips and recipes that are based on your box so you know what to cook. I made the most amazing steak with a basil sauce the other night. And oh, let me tell you, my friends all raved at how amazing it tasted. I'm definitely going to be pulling that recipe out. If you want great meat and seafood in your life, you need ButcherBox. Sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com etm and use code etm at checkout and enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus get $20 off. Again, that's butcherbox.com etm and use code etm. You know what makes life more fun? Having your money situation solved. I mean, how great would that be? I want to introduce you to The Stacking Benjamin Show, a podcast that I am a big fan of that delivers exactly what you want most when you listen to money podcasts, less preaching and more genuine money talk. Do you want to learn how to build wealth and manage your money? Well, The Stacking Benjamin Show has you covered with practical advice and expert insights on personal finance. Their headline segments keep you up to date with the latest lessons to be learned from the news and their TikTok Minute shines a light on just how bizarre money advice can be online sometimes. The Stacking Benjamin Show was just named the best personal finance podcast by Bankrate. Here's what they said about it. Unlike other competitors hitting the airwaves, the team doesn't tote Stacking Benjamins as the be-all, end-all for lessons on money. Instead, they share a broad range of concepts and resources to create a more comprehensive financial foundation for their listeners. And listen, they have a lot of fun on their show. Even I have been a guest from time to time, and I always go away with a big smile on my face. So if you're looking to find a companion podcast that goes great with this show, tune into Stacking Benjamins. Find them on all major podcast platforms, including where you're listening to us right now. Your wallet will thank you. Jessie Farron and her husband tackled two of life's biggest challenges all at once, managing the cost of raising a family while simultaneously climbing out of over $55,000 in debt. They didn't have superpowers or win the lottery, but we're showing you how they did it in this episode. Let's dive in. Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. 
As Jesse says, life takes on new meaning when you're not strapped down by monthly payments. Living debt-free changes you in such beautiful and powerful ways. Most of us have this love-hate relationship with debt. We love, obviously, the stuff it buys, but we hate it when we have to go and make those monthly payments. Debt-free, of course, is always the goal, but I'm going to be honest with you. Working as a financial planner for over 15 years, debt comes and goes for most of us, and that's okay. It's a part of life. So don't beat yourself up if you happen to be in a debt phase right now. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other to chip away, and let Jesse's story inspire you to keep going. We're talking about a lot of subjects today that... I don't talk about often on the podcast, particularly around raising a family. And so I'm really excited to kind of dig in, roll up our sleeves and dig into that. But first, I wanted to start out, you and your family paid off massive debt. And I'd love to know, like, what does it mean for you and your family to be debt free? Oh, my goodness. Um, it means more time, time to uh, be with you know our children and you know, free of worry. Because when we started the debt-free journey, um, I was a stay-at-home mom, but we um, we basically started the year 2012 pregnant and ended it pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so I found myself like soon to have another child. And um, I realized we weren't going to be able to afford for me to stay home still when baby two arrived. And so I kind of was like, I don't know what to do. I can go back to work, you know, to earn obviously a paycheck. But then the majority of my paycheck was going to go towards childcare for two kids under the age of two. And living in Metro Atlanta, I mean, I, I didn't want to fight traffic every single day trying to pick kids up, you know, get to and from work and have to come home and cook a dinner and try to do all these things. And then my husband at the time, he was um, he was running um, a project for a really big project for another construction company. So he was, you know, constantly traveling. So a lot of this was going to fall on my plate to have to do. And we both did not want that for me and for our family. And so that's where our debt-free journey initially started was that we wanted to make sure that, you know, we would have the time with our family that we wanted that someone would be home when, you know, kids are, are you know sick at school and I can just drop whatever I'm doing and go get them if I need to. Um, and then now that we've paid off the house, it's even just, there's, it's just so much, so many more options that we didn't have before. Like this summer, we're getting to take three family vacations where just four years ago, we couldn't even take a single family vacation. So it's, it's wow. been such a blessing to us. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we're talking about debt payoff, I find for most people, it gets to be one of those moments of a pain point. So just like you described with your story, there's like something that happens where you're finally like, okay, <laughs> I can't deal with this debt anymore. We have to figure out how to get rid of it. And I think it's always great to share so many different stories about debt payoff and what those pain point moments are for people. But I'd love to know, because you paid off such a big amount, 55000 you said, roughly, give or take, in, in two years, how did you actually begin to attack that debt? Yeah, well, you know, it started with me and my husband having to finally sit down and just talk about money. I mean, at that point, goodness, how long have we been married for? I got to think about this for a second. I think we've been married for about five <laughs> years. Um, but, you know, we had never really sat down and 
talked about money. I mean, we yes. had some money conversations here or there, and of course, some money fights. Um, but we didn't have any real meaningful conversations around it. But when we sat down to talk about it, and you know, we kind of played out, you know, if I did have to go back to work how our life was going to look. It was like, we were all of a sudden both in agreements. Okay. That's not what we want. So how do we get what we want? Like, where do we go from here? It was kind of like we were newlyweds again, just planning for the future, but we realized that we had to go and actually do something about it. It wasn't just good enough to dream it. We had to do something. And so we sat down and I created the budget because my husband's not, he just not want anything to do with that part. <laughs> um, you know, so I created it and then we just kind of talked about it from there, things that needed to be added or t- taken away, you know, where we could cut from the budget. Um, and he was, you know, he was very on board with it be- simply because of the fact that we had finally realized that there was something more important to us at stake. Yeah, I, I think that's really good. I want to just back up for a second because you talked about being married and not really having that many money conversations and then obviously having to have a big money conversation. Like, what do you think holds couples back? Is it just purely fear? What do you think holds them back from having some of those important conversations? I think it's actually a combination of fear and pride. Um, for myself, I have accounting degree. So again, I am the money person in my family. Like my husband is the By spender. Default. I'm the, yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's the spender. I'm the saver. I'm seen as the more, you know, responsible one with money. So that has always kind of just been on my plate. And so for me, it was a little bit of pride because I have to sit here and go and tell my husband, Hey, guess what? Um, there's not going to be enough money for me to continue staying home. Uh, what do we do from here? You know, and having to bring him in that conversation, whereas before I was kind of the one holding the reins. And so I was going to have to let go of the reins, which was really hard, but I had to kind of get over myself and my pride in order to bring him in that conversation. And he had to kind of get over the fear aspect of not understanding how money worked because he wasn't raised um, in a household that even talked about money. He, he, he kind of comes from like, he, he wasn't really below the poverty line, but he grew up right at the poverty line. So money's always been a big mystery to my husband. And so, you know, his fear of not knowing a lot of things, things always kind of prevented him from feeling like he could sit in those conversations, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, totally. I would imagine that a lot of people can resonate with that feeling and just wanting it almost to just go away. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And yet it doesn't because I say it touches every aspect of our lives. So as much as we want it to go away, it it can't go away. It's, It's always present there. So have you found it easier from that moment then to be able to have these conversations and both of you to arrive at kind of a, you know, a neutral place, I guess you would say around money? Uh, yes. Um, yes and no. Cause I mean, it's still kind of hard cause you, cause the fear and pride are still going to be there and they still definitely are for me and my husband. Um, you know, so it's a constant working to make sure that, you know, if something does go wrong, that I don't allow my pride to stand in the way and try to do it all myself instead of including my husband. And for my husband, we had to make sure the fear doesn't stand in the way for him. Um, so as long as we can keep ourselves from going back to those defaults, we have done <laughs> really, really well with those conversations 
conversations. Um, goodness, this was back in, I think, 2017. We had um, a really big kind of, not I would say financial crisis, but it was, we were owing a ton of money in taxes um, simply because I had my business structured, um, not wrong, but in a way that was kind of causing a huge tax burden on the family. And it was a really hard conversation to have with my husband to tell him that we were going to have to take money from our emergency fund to help pay the tax bill for my business. And I was like devastated because I felt so bad, you know, but he was so supportive. There was no judgment. There was no arguing. There was none of that. And there was no fear from him because he knew enough that we, because we had saved that money, he, he didn't have any fear. He knew we were going to be okay. And he was able to remind me that we were going to be okay. And so, you know, I, I think that by having those conversations and knowing each other's, you know, weaknesses and our strengths, we're able to rely on each other when we have those moments where, you know, maybe one of us has made a mistake um, or something like that. And that's just the definition of partnership, right? I mean, yes. that's to be able to arrive and say, hey, I'm I'm good at this, but maybe not so good at these things. And you're good at these things, and maybe not so good at these things. But together, hopefully we can figure it out. And, you know, we're going to hopefully be stronger together than we are apart. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So going back to when you were uh, analyzing your your steps to paying off the debt, when you first sat down and like made that budget, were there any categories of spending that just sort of leaped off at you where you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we were spending this much on this category? Or, you know, were there kind of glaring areas where you're like, okay, I know that we need to start here. Yes. Um, so one of them was like the miscellaneous category because I couldn't figure <laughs> out what half of these expenditures were. I mean, some were mine, some were my husband's. And oh my goodness, I was like, okay, we're going to have to go like on a 30 day like spending track here. Like we like meticulously tracked every single penny. I mean, my husband would come home and just hand me receipts. And he was like, here, <laughs> this is what I bought. I swear, I saved every receipt. Or he called me, he'd be like, okay, I actually threw away the receipt, but I spent this much money. <laughs> <laughs> and so then that way we could kind of figure out where all the money was going um, because that miscellaneous category was so broad um, across so many different things. And so we finally figured out, you know, my husband was spending a ton of money on Red Bull every single day, but I was spending um, quite a bit of money on books because I love to read. Um, that's a weakness of mine. I would say that's a spending weakness. And so I was actually spending um, quite a bit of money on books, I'm a little embarrassed to say. And so I had to kind of reel that in and, you know, um, kind of bring down those miscellaneous categories. And I just had to pay attention to um, the spending when it came to the kids as well, because I realized that sometimes in even in the grocery store, I was buying things that weren't necessary, but I was buying them for my kids. And so I had to just become more cognizant of that as I was shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting when you start realizing, I mean, I'm the first to admit I've got plenty of those categories myself, even being a money expert and watching over this stuff. It's still, it's just, it's going to exist. And I, the objective is not to not spend any money, which I always tell people like, that's not the objective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the objective is just to do it a little bit smarter. Uh, but I'd love to know because you always went went through this evolution of paying off debt. Like, What do you think keeps people trapped in debt because so many people are in that spot where they're just they've got so much debt looming over them and they don't know where to start they feel super trapped and it just keeps happening over and over and over again like what do you think keeps people there <laughs> 
Um, some of it I think has to do with just, you know, um, society, like debt is so normal that, um, you know, if we compare our lives to other people, which is obviously super easy on social media and we see all these things, like we, we, we want those things and it's okay to want those things. But what happens is that we will take out debt to buy those things and we just keep accumulating them and then we have all these things, but then we're left with all the debt and we're wondering how is this person succeeding, but they're not feeling this way that I am. And so we try to compare and contrast, but we don't realize that, you know, there is a different way to live. You don't have to be indebted, you know, granted, you know, the debt-free lifestyle doesn't always look glamorous to everyone, but it is freedom. It represents freedom. It's, you know, it's just a very short time period of sacrifice and then you get to reap the benefit of it, which is always so amazing. But I think that when we're stuck in that, um, in the debt trap, we, we don't see that part. You know, we might only see the sacrifice part and the hard part. And we're sitting here looking at all these wonderful things that debt has bought us. And we're thinking like, I've got to give up these things. And that can be really, really hard, especially if you're not, especially if you're not at that point where you're feeling the pain of it. If you haven't quite gotten to that point where you're really feeling that gut punch, it's sometimes really hard to, to recognize that those sacrifices are going to be worth it. I have to tell you about my new obsession, Notion, our sponsor today. Notion has single-handedly changed how I do life for the better. I use Notion for all my daily journaling so I can keep it all in one spot. I also keep all our favorite recipes that are budget-friendly in Notion so I can easily sort and find the ones I love and easily create fast grocery lists. And okay, one of the best uses of Notion you can create a template for your money dates and track your goals right in Notion. Seriously, Notion is a game changer. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but really getting inspired. It's an AI-powered workspace. It turns knowledge into action. You can use Notion to summarize meeting notes and auto-generate action items, get answers to questions in minute. And you can make all of your money tasks so much easier. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, freelance designer, starting a new startup, a student juggling classes and clubs, or just somebody really wanting to get your life together. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash etm. That's all lowercase letters. Notion.com slash etm and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show, notion.com slash etm. So tell me, what are your money goals that you have for this year? Maybe you're like me and endlessly looking for a house to buy and you're focused on saving for a down payment or you're drooling over traveling somewhere tropical this year and you want to save to pay for it, or you're ready to leave your job and build your own business. So you're going to need some startup funds. Whatever your goals are this year, Monarch can help you reach them. In fact, the Wall Street Journal named Monarch the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress towards financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. What I love about Monarch is it's simple and easy, customizable design, so the dashboard can look exactly the way you want it to. I'm also a big fan of creating custom budgets for things like travel. It's one of my favorite money tips, and Monarch lets you do this so easily. This is such a great way to stay motivated when you've got a lot of money goals. 
you can easily track your progress with every dollar that you save or spend. Remember, your brain loves to see progress and you should celebrate it when you're saving money. And honestly, I am so focused on privacy, so I really admire that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties. This means a lot to me and it should mean a lot to you as well. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of the show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. I know I'm a bit biased, but honestly, I think I have the best dog ever. Her name is Winnie Stardust. She is a golden mountain doodle, and she is full of spunk and fun, and she's never met a ball she does not love. I honestly, I would do anything for Winnie, and she has enriched my life so much. I can confidently say Winnie is absolutely one of the most priceless purchases I have ever made. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. In today's world, we insure a lot, from cars and homes to cell phones and even travel plans. But what about insurance for your cat or dog? With ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. This is what I call smart spending because, let's be real, those vet bills, they can be expensive. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program, they've been around for about 18 years And they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure your pet's plan is unique as they are. Because vet bills, they can really add up, especially when you are least expecting it. It's simple. You use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. That's A-S-P-C-A, petinsurance.com slash ETM. Again, that's A-S-P-C-A, petinsurance.com slash ETM. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTC Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. This is Chris Christensen from the Amateur Traveler Podcast. The Amateur Traveler Podcast is about the love of travel. It's about where to go and why you should go there. We're going to open up to you different destinations you haven't heard of or places you have heard of but things you didn't know to do while you were there. Each episode is about 45 minutes long and it's typically an interview with someone who wrote the guidebook on that destination or who has been there or who's a local tour guide or someone who is an expert on that destination and knows how to tell you what to do to get the most out of your precious vacation time. So if you value your vacation time and you want to use it wisely, listen to Amateur Traveler and learn about destinations both domestic and international, places you've heard of and places you haven't. Amateur Traveler has almost 900 episodes talking about different destinations. So if there's a place you want to go, odds are we've already covered it and can help you plan a trip there. Amateur Traveler, subscribe today.
Money in Five today. I am actually recording this small snippet sitting on my balcony in Maui, (laughs) where I am enjoying an amazing vacation, time to just relax. We saved all year long to for this to have 10 days. It's also around the time of my birthday. So it's kind of fun to, uh, to have a vacation on your birthday. I, I come from the school of thought that I don't think you should ever work on your birthday. And I know that a lot of people are like, what? I have to work on my birthday. But I just feel like we honor so many other people's birthdays that we don't even know. We honor presidents and all sorts of public figures' birthdays, as we should. But I kind of feel like we should also honor our own birthday. There's just something very sacred about it to me. There's something very like, hey, I'm important. I matter. And so I am going to cherish my birthday and I don't care who else wants to join in on the fun. This is my birthday. (laughs) So anyway, I'm coming to you from this incredibly lush location. You can probably hear a little traffic in the background, but other than that, I'm staring at absolutely blue water, palm trees, mountains. There's clouds floating by. There's birds that make all sorts of crazy noises that I've never heard before. There are geckos running around. I mean, it's just completely idyllic if I could paint the scene for you. So I wanted to just talk real quick about this idea of money mindset reset. And I think the summer is such a good time to have a mindset reset. And whether that means you're going on a 10-day trip like I've just been on, or maybe you're just going for an overnight somewhere, whatever it is for you, I think it's important to find some time, carve out some time where you really just can reset your mind. And maybe you're not a beach person, maybe you're a lake person or a mountain person or a desert person, whatever type of person you are, I think it's a good time to think about like what sets your soul on fire. What is that place? What is that environment? How can you cultivate that without necessarily spending a ton of cash, but to be able to take yourself to an environment where you can breathe fresh air, where the stresses and worries of every day aren't there for you. And you can think about things. For me, this trip has been about thinking what I want to do next on the podcast, what I want to do next in my career, I've got some amazing ideas that are really, really scary because I don't know how to do any of them. But this trip for me has just been a mindset reset of you can do it. Why not? Go for it. Be a misfit. Try something new. You never know what can happen. And I don't think I would have found that clarity had I not taken some time to just get out of the daily routine, get out of sitting in a car in traffic, get out of all the like pulls and strains on me in order to be able to just breathe and take this time. And again, I know not everybody can afford to take 10 days off or a week off. And sometimes it doesn't even involve that. Sometimes it's just an afternoon off or a day off. Take a take a you day, middle of week, and go drive somewhere, that, again, that sets your soul on fire, that makes you feel alive. And spend some time thinking about what you want to do next. What do you want the rest of this year to look like? What do you want to change in your finances? What do you want to change personally or mentally? Maybe there's some bad 
thoughts that have been going through your head lately that you just want to kick to the curb. You want to get rid of them. And I think we need this time. We need this mindset reset, especially when it comes to our finances, because it's so easy to get stuck in. It's going to be this way forever. (laughs) I'm never going to pay off this debt. I'm never going to buy that house. It's never going to be the right time to have a baby. We can't afford the wedding we want. The house we want to buy is too expensive. Whatever thing has you stuck right now, just let it go. It's going to work out how it's going to work out. And if you keep taking positive steps every day, you're going to be there before you know it. So my challenge to you is find some time, carve out some time to a mental, a mindset reset and think about what makes you so awesome and think about all the things you have to offer to the world and think about what you want the rest of this year. Forget the rest of this year. What do you want the rest of this day to be like? Yeah, that's such a good point. And were there any points during this this payoff that you did where things weren't going so well, or maybe there was a little slip up, or was it pretty smooth going once you set your mind to it? (laughs) Oh, I wish I could say that. (laughs) I had a feeling it wasn't that, but you know. Well, so let me tell you about Jessie and her cars. (laughs) I am the poster child for the American belief of you are what you drive. And I didn't realize it for so long that I put so much value of who I am as a person in my cars because I want to look good in my car. I want people to like ooh and awe over my car, which sounds so totally conceited and like awful, but it's true. And I didn't realize it until I had to get rid of my fully loaded Tahoe that had a massive debt attached to it in exchange for my very well-loved Sequoia. Still a very nice nice car. Yes. Yes. That I now love five years later. I absolutely love that car and wouldn't trade it for that Tahoe for anybody's money. But at the time, a Tahoe was like my dream car. I loved it. It was fully loaded, you know, super wonderful, super nice car. And, um, you know, this was right after we had had baby two. So we got all the credit cards paid off right before baby number two arrived. Then baby two arrived. And of course, there's the newborn stage. So nobody's thinking about anything at that point. You're just trying to survive. <laughs> and so it finally, we kind of got out of that uh, season. And my husband was like, okay, well, the car is next to pay off, but we're not going to be able to pay it off very quickly. I think we should honestly just get rid of it because we weren't upside down on it. We had some equity built into it. So he's like, I think we should just get rid of it. Take take the money we have saved and go buy another car. And I kept trying and like I was putting it off. I kept trying to figure out a way to pay it off super fast. But of course, you know, I can't just pull $18,000 out of my back pocket. (laughs) And so there was just no way to really make it happen. And so I finally had to like, you know, give up or not give up, but give it up and, you know, let it go. And it was so hard. Like I was literally bawling as we were like driving off in the Sequoia and the Tahoe's sitting back there. And I'm like, Oh my God, my husband was even like, okay, if you can't calm down, we'll just go back and get the Tahoe. Cause I don't know how to deal with this special kind of crazy, but, but it was so worth it in the end. Initially it was very, very hard. Um, it was, it was the hardest sacrifice I made. I know a lot of people think again, that's very childish and all of that, but I do think that all of us, to some extent, we kind of put value, we do put value in, in at least one material possession. We all kind of have that. That's something that makes us happy, that makes us maybe prideful. And that for me was my car. 
Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Like we all have that. What it, it it could be expensive or not expensive, but that thing that then when you're you know you need to not buy that thing or trade that thing in or <laughs> get rid of that thing is like, oh, I'll do anything but that thing. Exactly. It's a really hard moment, and I think I thank you for sharing that story because I, you know, I I think that that letting go of that was probably a lot more than just letting go of the whatever amount you owed on the car. It was also you having this realization that, hey, I don't need that thing and life's going to go on and I'm going to get another thing that is good too, but it's just not as expensive as this thing. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it was a very humbling experience for me because, you know, like I said, I, I did not realize prior to that, that so much of my identity was tied up in my car. And so when I, when it like went away, I was like, oh my God, like people are going to think less of me because this is not nearly as nice of a car. Even my dad and my brother, God bless them both. They were like, oh, your Sequoia is the ugliest car you've ever had. And it is. And they weren't meaning that meanly. It's just that tells you how much I prided myself on my vehicles. I liked having nice vehicles. And so to have a car that even though it's still a wonderful car, it wasn't as nice as the other ones I had. So it was really hard for me to take that step because that, like I said, I mean, paying off the credit cards, that was no big deal to me. You know, paying off student loans, that was no big deal. But the car was the big deal. <laughs> I love that. Um, so talking a little bit about about raising a family, you know, what would you say are some of the biggest expenses raising a family that maybe you weren't expecting, but that that came up? Oh my goodness. Definitely school. <laughs> so <laughs> like we, we've done both private and public school, but so it doesn't really matter if you choose private or public school. It's expensive. Like there's so many like projects that pop up. There's so many like supplies that you have to buy. There's like all the teacher gifts, which of course are, are good things, but it's just like you have, like, especially when you have more than one child, you have so many to buy and you have, you know, all these different um, class parties to contribute to a lot of things that I was not expecting when my kids first went to school. And so it's taken, uh, taken some getting used to, I actually <laughs> set up a whole nother sinking fund just for their school related, like random expenses, because they do just pop up like randomly, you get the email or the sign up genius. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I got to do what again. Oh, yes. I like I just did this like last week for the other kid. <laughs> yeah. So talking about about that like what would you tell soon to be parents maybe parents who haven't had a child yet how to prepare their bank account for this this new addition to their family are there any steps that looking back you're like oh I would have taken these steps financially to get myself in a better position um yes so one of the things that I would do um is you know to try to set up some sinking funds that are going to um, pertain to your family so for like us we have a christmas sinking fund that we contribute to all year long that we just put some money in every week to build up. So when Christmas comes, like that's our budget. What's in that account is our budget. And that's what we spend. It's such a lifesaver. It'll make you so happy come Christmas time because everybody's crazy at Christmas time. <laughs> it really will. And, you know, we have sinking funds for vacations. Um, and like I said, the school supplies, you know, so you can set up for whatever is pertinent to your family. Um, 
I would definitely suggest doing that because that'll just make life a little smoother. Um, but also when it comes to raising a family, always remember that you get to dictate how expensive your kids are. I know that that's kind of like, you know, things that we hear all the time, but it's Mm, really true. I'm a firm believer in setting that expectation bar real low with your kids. Set it real low. Let them think (laughs) that you're just not going to buy them nothing. And I promise you that like every time you do buy them something, they're just overjoyed and they're excited. And I also think it teaches them a little bit of gratitude as well, because they realize they're not just going to be given everything. Um, and so for us, like my kids too, that's another thing they've been, they've had their own money since they were three years old. So any money that they get for birthdays or anything like that, like they get to, you know, buy their own little gift with it, you know, for, um, they don't even get real birthday parties every year. Those are things that we choose not to spend money on for our kids. Um, but, you know, if those are things that are important to your family, set up sinking friends for them and start contributing to those. And that way you're prepared for when those things come because kids' birthday parties are expensive. <laughs> and I think that's that's such wise advice that it doesn't have to be as expensive as all the articles point to. I mean, if you read the articles about raising children, it's like, oh my gosh, well, I should just give up now. There's no, there's no sense. <laughs> but I love that, that, you know, you can set the expectations and you can make it work within your framework of, of what you have and what your goals are. And I think that's an important message to, to tell people. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Cause I, I do think I read one article, I cannot remember where it was, but they were like talking about like, oh, this is why kids are so expensive and like talking about how kids like destroy stuff, which I mean, kids are going to, they don't mean to, but at the same right. time I'm like, you know, but that's, you get to teach your kids that though. If you teach kids like that, these things cost money. And one of the ways you do that is by like, you, even if you just hand them $5 and let them keep it for a week and then take them to the store and tell them they can spend that $5, like they start to pick up really quickly that money buys things. And so they tend to, they tend to value things a little bit differently at that point. Cause when you say to them like that costs money and if you break my window, you're going to pay for it. Like they don't want to pay for it. Like, you know, my seven-year-old, he knows that he breaks my window, he's going to pay for it. And he's not going to be very happy about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point in your journey did you think, Hey, we paid off all this debt. I've got all this knowledge around money. I should probably coach other people as well and help them through this journey? Um, It was actually um, when we decided to pay off the house Um, because we honestly had not really even paid much attention to the mortgage outside of obviously paying the monthly payment. And when we finally looked at the mortgage number, we realized that we had actually paid off more debt than that in less time. And so I was like, why are we still like paying on this? We should just pay it off. And then, so once we started that journey, um, you know, when I was telling people about it, a a lot of my friends and our family, um, were coming to me asking for help. And so I decided to go and be trained so I could help people and coach them. Um, so I could coach them into how to manage their own money and to make living debt-free a life choice for them. Yeah, that's so great. Well, Jesse, this has been amazing. If you could leave us with maybe like one takeaway for how you think we should begin tackling our own debt, what would that be? That would be to just get real with it. Don't don't fear it. Just write it down, look at the numbers, see what they are. And then, you know, just like how when they say, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time and then just tackle one debt at a time and keep focused on what the bigger priority is. Like from my story, you know, my priority was I want to stay home with my kids. Your priority is going to be different, but whatever that priority is, keep it at the, the forefront of your mind. Everything you do, you want to be because you're working towards that priority and it'll make the journey a whole lot easier. 
That's great advice. And take action too, right? I mean, so many of us just stay stuck in like, I want to do this and I want to do this, but we don't actually go, okay, what can we proactively do today? Even if it's just a tiny little step that's going to help us get there. Exactly. Five minutes a day is better than not doing anything at all. So, you know, just pick five minutes to do something today, whether that's five minutes to check your bank account or check your budget, you know, just five minutes a day is really, you know, that will get that ball rolling. Yeah, I think we're going to start. We'll start a new pilgrimage five five <laughs> minutes a day. I love it. Well, Jesse, tell everybody where they can go to connect with you and find out more about your coaching. Well, I am at jessiefiron.com and all of my social channels are at jessiefiron. Thanks so much for checking out this episode and a big thanks to our sponsors that make this show possible. Remember to subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. But before you leave, I want to empower you to embrace where you are today, the good and the not so good. And remember, nothing lasts forever. Just keep taking small steps every day and remember how awesome you truly are. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.